welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. I toast tobacco leaves out of grief. The wind finds a way to blow through. Couldn't see that I was spinning Out of orbit, ooh, baby Wake up and check my pulse, I'm alive again The hunger is present Treat it like a gift, I can't wrap more gift Than the moment ends up Till the morning breaks my heart again I toast the back of leaves out of grief The wind finds a way to blow through me Couldn't see that I was spinning Out of orbit, ooh, baby No sense to me A sleight of hand and eye Only our hearts know The relationships we keep In our waking minds Till the morning breaks my heart again I toast the back of leaves out of green The wind finds a way to blow Tobacco leaves out of green The wind finds a way To blow through me Couldn't see that I was spinning Out of orbit Hey everyone and welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast That was Tobacco Leaves by Emily Gabriel Who is also known as E.G. Hi Carl and Greg, how are you guys doing? Hello, hey. Nicole. Hello, Greg. Hey, Carl. Hey, Nicole. It's okay. Is that it? <laughs> what kind of week? Done. What kind of week did you have? Yeah. I don't even know, man. Week. I'll tell you another way. I, I like that tune. It's it's kind of real, like you said. Oh yeah. Stream of yeah, consciousness. Like it it's yeah. It's very interesting structure. Very unexpected. Her full length album is actually titled Omega Man, and it is in honor of her father, who passed away tragically uh, at the end of 2019. Oh, that's oh, sad. That's I know. I know. And she has a really fun show coming up. Uh, at, I think it's April 9th at the Bowery Electric New York, which is Carl's Stomping Grounds. So I tell you, I saw Neil Diamond now sold his catalog to 
to Universal. Everyone's doing it now. What, what is and, and, and so so many of them are Universal. What does Universal have like fifteen billion dollars in spending to buy everybody's yeah. catalog? Money is no object to to the people that own the majority of the uh, intellectual property in the music business. Oh, it's so it's it's bizarre. So like almost everyone's doing it. It's like the new thing now. I was right, right no, now. No one is focused on how much money these things make. They're focused on how much how valuable they are. You know the valuation of the kind of aggregation of all these songs that have the potential to earn money, but nobody is really interested in doing anything that would but, but couldn't it be like almost like money. But couldn't it be like a a, a bubble will burst and, and, and everyone is gonna take a loss? Well absolutely. I mean it's just a you know it's it's kind of a shell game at this point when you play these valuations because the valuations are propped up by what is promised to the old guard, what is promised to ASCAP and BMI and CSAC and sound exchange and for what, and whatever, you know, minute percentage of a percent of, of a one, one hundredth of a cent that's promised by digital platforms. It's all on a promise. It seems like we can't get past an episode without mentioning the Beatles at least once. So they haven't done this yet, right? So what could their catalog be worth? A, a trillion dollars? Like, you know, well, <laughs> if the Beatles... What's wanted- interesting, I, I don't know if I've ever said this on the podcast before, but because uh, we talk, we seem to talk about the Beatles all the time, but having worked for a performing rights organization all those years, uh, at one time I was privy to some numbers right. that, were being, that were being thrown around for the public performance of all that music. And you would be shocked at how little it was actually earning because their catalog was actually very, very late to digital platforms. I, I think it's going to be a big bust. You know, I, I think all these big stars are just gouging these these stupid mega companies like Sony and Universal, and that they're going to be left holding the bag. Well, the, yes, uh, that, there's no question about that. I think that they, the, the valuations of these companies that own all this stuff and they've stuck all these hundreds of catalogs equaling thousands of songs uh, and these valuations in the billions of dollars, all predicated of, uh, upon the idea that businesses are going to continue to be able to pay ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, SoundExchange, uh, the digital platforms, they're all going to keep paying licensing fees. Whether or not they are, who knows? But that's what the valuations are based on. Anyway, so what are we doing? Are we talking about anything? Well, we kind of started talking last week about music and discovery of music and and right, 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 right. Kind of like the future of it and, and are, as we as humans, are we kind of impeding it? Because... I had an epiphany probably two Saturdays ago. I was driving in my car and I put on Spotify in my Apple CarPlay and I just scrolled to what I knew, which is my go-to playlist is Panic at the Disco. And I just started thinking about it like out of all of the music that is available on Spotify, I always default to what I know I'm going to like. And I tested the theory out. I went to like one of the mega hits playlists or whatnot the next time I was in the car by myself and I hit play and hit shuffle. And I think I had to skip through like five or 10 different songs to find one that I actually truly enjoyed and wanted to listen to on the drive. And it just got me thinking like, do we as humans also impede music discovery just because 
we're not necessarily listening to maybe as much as we should because we like the things that comfort us. That's kind of my thought. You, you, you have absolutely hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what has happened. Let's preface that for a second, because back in the day, how did we discover music back when we were younger? Wasn't it- On was the it, radio. Was it radio? It was more word of mouth for me. You know, I learned about everything word of mouth. I learned about the Beatles word of mouth. Well, the human, the human nature, the behavior that Nicole just described is exactly, precisely what ruined radio, because radio figured out over time that- the people that were programmers that made the decisions as to what records were being played, uh, they figured out pretty quickly that people did not want to listen to new things. They wanted to listen to the stuff that they were familiar with. So I had many programmers through the years tell me, if I want to make money for the station, I'm going to play what's familiar to people. And that's the exact same way that Nicole is listening to playlists. She wants to listen to the playlists that are familiar to her. But what made it great, what made radio great was back in the, when FM started and FM, guys would play right, stuff. And that's how you discovered stuff. And that's how you yep. found out that you loved Yes, or you loved ELP, or you loved Jethro Tull, or whoever, you know, or Zeppelin. But it turned out, it turned out that you couldn't scale listeners in that way. They didn't want that much discovery in their lives. They basically wanted to rock out to the tune that they already knew and had already heard. So, you know, in the day sets or in the time stops or whatever the hell they used to call it. There always, I mean, there always was on, top You could 40. only, there was only room for four tracks uh, per quarter hour. And if you were lucky and those four had to be things that would keep people tuned in to the radio dot. You know what, man? Money ruins everything. Oh, no question. Money ruins bum, bum, everything, bum, bum, bum. man. Yep. Oh, it's great, all like, great, you know, great, so great. everything in the world that's bad is it's, it's wrapped around want or, or desire or, 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 or need of money. Like money ruins television, money ruins, you know, film, money ruins the budget. Everything's about money. So it, it, same thing with radio. So programming is based on money, advertisers. Yep. And like, yeah, it's like the world. It's the commerce. I, I call it the commerce of attraction. So, you know, something happens and a crowd draws around whatever it is of interest that's happening there's always going to be people that step to the crowd and from the back of the crowd forward sell you something that's what these people do uh -oh. <laughs> no more money <laughs> go back to the days of bartering well, I no, got that figured out. Stop. <laughs> no, I think we should end money. Stop the internet and end money. I think that the world would be great again. Well, people are trying, you know, they're trying new forms of currency, right? So that may be the whimpering of no more money. But to cut, Greg, kind of get back to what you're saying about programming yep. with radio. Yep. How does that, I mean, because I, I don't know if we've personally then been programmed to realize that we only really want to listen to what we like, but with streaming services now like Spotify and a couple of the other larger ones, I mean, we have at our fingertips millions upon millions, if not billions worth of sound that we can listen to. Like to me that for an artist could be, you know, looked at as I'm never going to be found because no one's going to be wanting to look for me. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what we've been preaching, you know, I the think idea that it like if, if something is that good, it'll find its way to the top. You'll hear about it. You know, um, I mean, because I'm older, 
my music discovery days are almost over. You know, in the sense that I love what I love. I know what I know. I'm not actively really, you know, if I stumble on new stuff, great. But I don't actively search for music really that much anymore. Like I used to when I was in my 20s. You know well, I, mean? I think that I, I think that a good, you know, we're always trying to find ways in which people can discover music. And I think that if you've got a kick-ass publicist, I think if you've got a good idea of your audience, I think you can expose what you're doing to a new to a number of people, and I'm you and me might just be included in that. I mean, we're we're still more actively engaged than your normal. Oh, I agree. No, I agree. And, and we get a lot of stuff, of and I do age. hear a lot of things. But what I'm saying right. is, no. But I, I, maybe I'm I'm just maybe I'm, I'm I'll contradict myself because I do because I I take a lot of like walks, you know now. And I usually what I do on Spotify, I'll, I'll I'll try a new playlist. You know, I'll just you know put a new playlist on and walk and and like Nicole says, sometimes I'm like I'm like you know fast forwarding every other song because I'm just garbage. But I think I think what we've learned about Spotify is that it's much like radio in the listening experience. In that they used to call it a lean back experience, so people are leaning back. They want to be played music, and so they'll choose a particular playlist. And they're not that engaged. They're running or walking or driving or they're, just, you know, they're, they're laying by the pool. Whatever they're doing, they're not that actively engaged in listening. So they just want to be played. Well, who music, does that? So. I, I, maybe now I'll, I'll sound totally ridiculous. Who listens to music? Usually music is never the activity to me. It's always been while well, I'm doing something else. Oh, not, not for me, man. It's it's an activity for me. Well, Greg, we know that you're the oh, exception yeah. to that rule. Well, I'm I, I'm a, I'm an exception to a lot. Well, that's of why that's that. why you're one of the best song song guys I've ever met because you actually can well, listen. Thank you for saying that. Uh, but I I do. I mean, I I will sit down. I. I do appointment listening. I will sit down and listen to a whole album. I mean, I guess maybe to also turn it on its head, like that's also why we have this podcast. Like we've, I think we've made some really interesting discoveries. We want to be the new Ed Sullivan show. Yeah, but we've made some really interesting (laughs) discoveries over the last 81 episodes in almost two years that, I mean, I know for me, if I, if these people either hadn't contacted us or we hadn't been trying to find them, I don't know if I would have ever come across them. So I, I feel like right. that's also, I'm grateful for the fact that this is kind of what we do too. We play music yeah. on this show? We do. <laughs> and we do it legally. Yes. Okay, right. <laughs> so let's want to play another song. Well, why, don't we, why don't we listen to another single by Emily called Talking to Strangers. But before we get to that, we will hear from our sponsor, which is 9420 Crowdfund. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by 9420 Crowdfund. 9420 Crowdfund, the premier crowdfunding platform for indie music artists. Get the best elements of crowdfunding without all the hassle. To learn more, go to 9420crowdfund.com. Again, that is 9420crowdfund.com. I think I'm mixed. 
Kinda, she's definitely quirky. I really liked it. I was bopping my head along to it. Like, there's there's a good beat to it. Oh, that Uh-oh. that's the old Dick Clark show, American Bandstand <laughs> phrase. Yeah, that one's more accessible and more melodic, and I, I just enjoyed it thoroughly. So then we speak to uh, Emily. We did. So we had ev- or EG. We did. So we asked EG um, our questions of the week. Okay. So the first question we asked her is for her to tell us a little bit about herself. My name is Emily Gabriel, and I'm a singer, songwriter, and performing artist based out of New York City. My music is like Alanis Morissette meets Olivia Rodrigo. Hopefully those names are resonant to you, music pun intended. And I'm excited to talk a little bit more about what I've been working on. The second question we asked her is to tell us about all the music projects that she's working on right now. I've been working on quite a few different things, but most of my energy and focus has been on releasing or gearing up to release my album. The album is called Omega Man. I'm actually not sure if I've told too many people that yet, but hey, maybe you heard it here first. The release strategy for Omega Man is starting on March 4th, 2022. I'm going to release my first single. It's called Talking to Strangers. And every two weeks or so after that, I'll be releasing another single off the album until it's an entire body of work and available on Spotify and Apple Music and iTunes and all that. Related to that, I am also planning an album release concert. So if you want a first listen to everything that's on Omega Man, 
in a live format, you can come to the Barry Electric on Saturday, April 9th. It's in the Lower East Side, if you're not familiar with the Barry Electric. And we'll be playing a set with all the tracks from Omega Man. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. And then lastly, I've been working on some sync licensing efforts, writing for film and television ads, things like that. And most recently, I, I've written a few podcast intro and outro music snippets. So she's busy. She's got a lot going on. Yeah, oh, like she's it. doing all the right stuff. I know. I like Carl, her. Carl, Carl, you got to go to the show. You got to go to the show, Carl. I'll try. You know, you, right. you, getting me out of the house is kind of weird. To me, like, <laughs> you know, I live on the Upper West Side. That's cross town. A few weeks ago, I went to, uh, there's this uh, group that I've been looking at to maybe do some work with, maybe some licensing work. I, I think they're cool. And they were doing a residency uh, Sunday nights, but they don't start till like 11 o'clock at night. And they were going to do a residency the month of February. And so I went the very first that. week. I, no, well, no, I went the very first week and it was so odd and so strange. It was, a, I mean, I think there were like four or five people that I saw that I knew that were absolutely shocked that I, that I showed up. <laughs> I know. I, I, and the band was really shocked that I showed up. That too. is bizarre. Cause I, I used to too, I used to go out at 10 o'clock. That was, <laughs> that's when I would go out. You know, yeah. you know, and now it's like, if it's past six, uh, you know, I forget it. You know, like, <laughs> when when you bartended, what was what was the end of your shift for? Oh yeah, right. When I used to bartend, I used to, I used to like, you know, it ended at four, and then like, you know, by the time I'm done, it's like I used to get home five thirty, and then we go to the diner, so I cross the street, like you know, twenty four hour diner, so I get home at six o'clock. You know, so <laughs> not now. Back in the day. Back in the day. (laughs) Go ahead. What else did we talk to? What else did EG say? Well, we already know that Alanis Morissette and Olivia Rodrigo have influenced her, but we want to know what other music artists have influenced her career so far. Gosh, that's a, you know, as an artist, I feel like inspiration is everywhere. So whenever I'm listening to music, I'm feeling inspired in some way, shape or form. And I know I kicked us off strong by saying that uh, my music is like Alanis Morissette meets Olivia Rodrigo. So those are two influences on my music for sure. I also really love the Beatles and the whole Get Back documentary was really inspiring and to put it simply, fun to watch. I also draw inspiration from anyone from Fleetwood Mac to Harry Styles to Lord to Taylor Swift to King Princess, even Donna Missile. I, I just I think there are so many talented artists that I feel very fortunate to constantly have inspiration at my fingertips. You know, it's pretty odd. You know, we've done a lot of these and very few of, I can't remember almost any that have mentioned the Beatles. I don't think any. Yeah. I was literally trying to figure <laughs> we that out. We mentioned the Beatles. Yeah. But they right. We do all the time. <laughs> so that, and that, that was the one that surprised me about this, but I'm glad that she actually like enjoys them. Like I could, I could kind of hear it in her sound a little bit. Well, I think probably what she dug about, she mentioned Get Back in particular. I think what she dug about it is, it sounds like she's a super busy artist. So I bet she dug the work ethic of the Beatles. Because, I mean, I had heard for 30 or 40 years that it's like, you know, those sessions were, you know, a mess. And, uh, you know, the band was coming apart. I didn't see any of that. I saw people working hard to make music and coming up with an extraordinary result. That's what I saw in that film. Okay. So I think that's what she dug is the whole work of it. 
And then the final question, our final super question that we ask everybody. What does a successful music career look like for you? Let's see what she says. Success to me is not finite. I think that as humans, we're constantly transforming and evolving. And I think our idea and, and ideas and concepts of success follow suit. It's constantly transforming and evolving. I think to pointedly answer this question, success for me in the near future, or rather a goal for me in the near future is to have people listen to my new album, Omega Man. It's a very personal story. There's a lot of emotion behind it. My hope is that it reaches the masses or at least a few people that it really resonates with and maybe brings a sense of comfort and relatability to some listeners. I'd also, a goal of mine that would be fall under my current definition of success in the near future would be to land some placements in the sync licensing space. I think one a year would be a nice constant steady goal for me. And in terms of live format, I want to play new venues in New York City and beyond. And I think that playing music live to a crowd of people, there's nothing better than that. The energy of, of a live concert is, is irreplaceable. Okay. I wish I could go. I can't fly up there for that, but I have been known to fly up for shows before. Yeah, live performances. Uh, like I think I, I I I voiced my opinion on that stuff last episode. Yeah. You did. But, yeah, there's something about playing. I guess it is fun to play live. You know, it's almost like I quit. It's almost like sports. I never got why people like to watch baseball. It's something you do. So I love very mindful thing. I know? love I love to play baseball you know but to sit and watch it like you know I, I it's 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 same thing with music i love to play like jazz i've seen these jazz guys these guys were great but after a while you don't even want to watch them anymore it's just like watching these musical gymnastic <laughs> guys they're just doing their own thing and like it's not even like they don't even care you're there and they're and they're great but after a while it's like it's cool and all and they're really talented but do you want to listen to this no so it's but it's something you do so that's why i never thought music yeah. you know to go see something i don't know it's more the spectacle of seeing the, the the star you know than it is to in the actual like music and stuff itself. Yeah, that's why I used to thought like that's why I think what made Velvet Underground kind of cool when they came out because they basically would just put couches on the stage facing the wall and they would just sit right, there right, and right, like, right. look at the back of their head sitting on the couch like they could care less you're there and they they went against that whole like spectator thing like and I get yeah. that I get that you know yeah those uh, I've been recently we were talking about making an appointment to listen I I went back and listened to all the Velvet Underground records about three or four months ago actually. And it's it's fascinating how like kind of trippy they are and and they kind of are all made. The songs are all structured to get to the back third where they can solo and the drums are structured so that they're just a, an underpinning for different sounds. The really interesting band, but. I can't imagine. I think it might have been boring live. I don't know. I didn't, One of my I worst performances, you know, I used to get after after bands around the nineties. I started doing the solo acoustic thing, you know. And your songs were so in your face. I can't imagine one of your shows being boring. Well, it, not boring, but but I used to do this. I used to play Shanae. I used to play. I played Shanae the same back on A Street, back when uh, Jeff Buckley played there and uh, Paula Cole. I knew those guys. But I remember I was playing this one club 
I forget where it was, but and these people are sitting there, and like when you're doing a solo acoustic song, and uh, it's getting really low, and, and these people are talking. I remember stopping the song, walking down from the stage, and going, "Why are you here? Why yelling at these people?" You know, so I, and that's what I used to do. I used to go like, "Why are you here?" You know, and they, and they look at me like I'm like crazy. I'm going, "Shut up!" You know. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, well, I love that. Be- Although we had that culture in Nashville, you know, it's the uh, it's called that's where I loved when Cafe. I came down to Nashville because you you booked me first at the Bluebird back in the early right the early nineties. I remember yeah. after playing New York and and Boston, where everyone was just talking half the time. Even though you have let's say you have a hundred people in the room, and maybe if like five people are talking, which is a very small group, you know, only like you know whatever five percent, but still. It's loud when you're playing soft acoustic stuff. And I used to get mad at people, like, shut up, something. Sometimes I couldn't deal with it. But when I went to Nashville, people were listening. They listened. I was amazing. They would listen to what I just say. They were polite, going, I loved it. Yeah, you played some cool places. You played uh, at 12th and Porter, which is it was stunning because they had that proscenium stage that, like, you could kind of walk out and be in the middle of the right. of the uh, of the tables, and man, you were playing tracks from Gray, and they were so big and so uh, kind of in your face that people weren't used to it. It was it was pretty funny to <laughs> yeah, see. Yeah, they, were, they weren't used to me because uh, that was when Nashville was still kind of country, and I'm coming yeah. up there and I'm being like this <laughs> New York singer songwriter. I look like I could, but I'm like, and I'm singing songs about God and he's a fairy tale, and and they, and they go, "What's he talking about?" The world in decline, right? World in decline, <laughs> real up tempo stuff, you know. <laughs> Hey, um, did did we ask E.G. Uh, about the uh, current scandalous uh, with Spotify? Spotify? We did. What did she say? Okay, let's see what she said. My thoughts on the Spotify circumstance right now is it's not easy for anyone. What's easy is being quick to judge and saying, if I were Spotify, I would do X. Or if I were this person, I would do Y. If I were a big artist or whatever the whatever equation works out or speaks to you. I think there's a lot to unpack. I think there's a lot to consider. I would be concerned if Spotify as an organization were quick to act rashly or extremely in either direction because there's so much at stake. There's so much to consider. With anything in life, it's rarely about the action on the surface. And it's always about the greater context the greater story behind it and also what it can lead to. Mm, we need to have her on the podcast more. That actually, uh, that, that had me thinking, you know? No, it's, 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 it's the right answer, but I, I don't necessarily agree all the time. I think it depends on the issue. When do you really agree though, Carl? No, I agree with sometimes <laughs> with people. I, no, she's right. She sounds very thoughtful. Well, there's also so much more at stake be- between just Neil Young. Oh, and there's just nothing at stake. If Joe they Rogan. shut down Spotify tomorrow, nothing would change. So you know, like that's 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 the big thing. My my new favorite lyric, my old favorite lyric, used to be from John Cougar's song, "Oh yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone." That was my favorite line ever written in rock. But now I've changed it to Freddie Mercury's. Nothing really matters. Nothing really matters to me. It doesn't matter. It's true. Nothing matters. For good or for bad. 
You know the drill, Nicole. What, what do we let's, say? Let's get on out of this episode. Get us out of here. And we're going to end up with another song, right? We Go. are. So we have one more song by Emily called Freedom. So make sure that you listen all the way through to the end because we'll be playing it in full. For everything that we spoke about in links, make sure you go to our website, which is 9420.com. Again, that is the numbers 94 and the letters T-W-E-N-T-Y. Until next time, we'll talk to y'all later. Cause we want freedom